0: Welcome to the Thrive Theology Podcast. I'm Emily and I'm
1: Bethany. We're two Christian women who aim to be grounded in the Word and understand how it applies to our lives.
0: We're passionate about making Christian theology accessible for every woman and equipping others to seek an intimate relationship with Christ. Stay tuned as we dive into today's topic.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Thrive Theology Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany, and Emily is here with me, and we have a little bit of a new thing for you this time. Um, Normally, we do episodes that are a little bit more surface level. We give you the basics of a topic, and this time we decided to go deep real deep. And for our first deep um, subject, which is probably going to take us three or four episodes, we don't know yet, we have chosen the topic of head coverings. And we are really excited to share all that we have learned with you um, so that you can have a better understanding of this passage. Um, Before we start, always we would love if you would subscribe to the podcast. You can find everything else you need on our website, ThriveTheology.com. So
0: Before we get started, we just want to clarify a few things. First, this is an in-house debate. You've heard us say this before. Um, It's not a salvation issue. It's it's a discussion that happens among Christians um, who love the Lord and are following Him and are just trying to figure out exactly what that looks like in their day-to-day lives. There are large groups of people on both sides of the head covering debate. There are people who do it, people who don't, and they both have good reasons for doing so. And that's what we're hoping to offer some clarity on with this series. Bethany and I did not grow up wearing head coverings. We don't attend a church that um, enforces that, but we know people who do. um, We have friends who do and, and still practice head covering. So like Bethany said, this could turn into three or four episodes, we are going to take our time working through this subject, we want to provide you with as much information as possible, so that you can understand and study um, the topic for yourself. Um, We're not here to give you any pat answers, we came across a lot of that when we were doing our research where people just share their opinions, or where they just kind of stay on the surface of the passage and don't actually dig deep and answer the why and the how. So we are hoping to really provide that. We've done, I think this is the most we've ever researched a podcast. I am really
1: done with head coverings. And as soon as we're done talking about this, I hope I don't
0: have to touch it for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I think I was trying to kind of t- track my research hours. I think I spent about seven hours researching this.
1: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm probably right up there. Eight, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, lots. So, Plus note
0: writing. <laughs> yeah, so we'll provide you with lots of resources as we go as well. We'll give you our typical like recommended resources at the end of each episode so that you can further study out these issues if you'd like to on your own. So just before we dive into this, this episode is all going to be about the Roman and Greek cultural context of head coverings. You've probably heard people say like, oh, well, because of cultural context, we don't have to do that anymore. And that's all they say. And that's what I was told growing up. I was like, oh, well, like that's not written to our culture. We don't have to worry about it, but it's still in the Bible and the Bible is everlasting, right? So (laughs) there's this whole debate going on. So we're hoping to offer some clarity on that before we dig into all of the cultural customs, which there are many, (laughs) um, (laughs) is that we are just going to read the passage to you guys. It's found in first Corinthians chapter 11, verses two to 16, So Bethany's going to start us off reading that.
1: I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head.
0: A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God
1: with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor the, nor do the churches of God.
0: Y'all clear as mud. Hey. (laughs) Hey. No problem. Okay, so like I mentioned a few minutes ago, a lot of people dismiss the head covering passage on the basis of cultural context. Um, And like I said, this is what I was told as a teenager, but unfortunately, it's really not that simple. I started researching the cultural context and it was really confusing. Um, So we're hoping to provide a bunch of information on that today. At the same time, those who are pro head covering say that cultural context doesn't matter. It's still in the Bible. And that's just an excuse to disobey the passage. But I just want to highlight that this is not a legitimate argument because good Bible study always looks at the author's intended audience and meaning and recognizes that the Bible was not written to us, but for us. That's something we've discussed on previous episodes as well. Um, The Bible was not written with 21st century North American Christians in mind. um, And the authors of the Bible, like Paul, were not writing to every Christian who will ever exist on the face of the earth. That being said, that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, recognize their words as God's, as God's words, but it's very important to recognize that there are different historical and cultural and literary, literary contexts that we have to look at when studying the word of God.
1: So we're going to start with the Corinthian culture. So Corinth was a city. Um, a, a, I didn't actually realize that probably until I was in grade seven or eight, <laughs> that like Galatia Um, Philippi, that these were all cities, but Corinth is a city. So the letter of 1 Corinthians, so the first letter written, was written to the Christians living in the city of Corinth, which was a multicultural metropolis. So think of like Toronto or New York City, where it's just all these different cultures combined and all these different practices combined in one big busy hustle bustle. So in the Corinthian church, three cultures, so Greek, Roman, and Jewish, converged to create the body of Christ. So because this was so so mixed of a culture, pro- it's really hard to actually ask, was there one specific custom f- about head covering for women or non-covering for men just because it is so different? Um, and that is something that makes this whole problem really confusing. <laughs>
0: So during the time of the early church in the first few centuries, Greeks, Romans, and Jews were starting to move around a lot. So there were Jews who were fleeing persecution from the city of Jerusalem, and they were just going out to different regions and settling. Um, in the Bible, we talk about the um, the Jews in the dispersion or the dias- diaspora. These were the Jews that had been dispersed because of persecution, and Of course, when they left, they took their cultural traditions with them throughout the known world. Um, And this is where you end up with Hellenist Jews. These were the Jews in the Bible that the apostles had to make sure were getting the same amount of food as the other Jews. Hellenist Jews were Greek-speaking Jews. They were Jews that had settled in Greek areas, were taking on a lot of Greek customs, but they were still ethnically Jewish. The city of Corinth itself was actually on Greek soil, but it had become a Roman colony. So Rome, uh, Rome was colonizing, and so it was going out to these different regions, sending Roman citizens there to settle and colonize it, much like England did with the New World. So a lot of Romans had been transplanted, but there were still a lot of Greeks. Remember, they're going into these Greek cities and just you know coming in with their cultural traditions to kind of take over. So Roman culture... At this time was was a little bit more prevalent than Greek culture, but there was still a lot of Greeks, of course, Um, and we know that Roman culture was more prevalent because we have found more Latin inscriptions in archaeology than Greek
1: also have to remember that Rome was one of their main reasons that they were great was because they didn't force everybody to convert to their own religion. They would say, oh, that's fine. You can keep yours. In fact, we'll adopt some of your practices as long as you will um, sacrifice to Caesar or to the king or to their king. So you can do whatever you want just as long as you pay homage um, to our leader, which was actually, you know, not wise per se, but a really smart way of doing it because it meant that people didn't completely rebel cuz it would meant that they would lose everything. They could still keep it as long as they also um sacrificed to Caesar.
0: Yeah, it worked for everybody except the Christians. Yeah, cuz we wouldn't
1: do that. <laughs> <laughs> So in the ancient Roman and Greek world, there were not hard and fast rules of head covering at this time for a few reasons. There were several cultures coming into one melting pot of ethnic groups. As a result of this, there were a lot of different religions, Judaism, the early church, various Greek gods, various Roman gods, other cults. lots of different ones, which had varying head covering practices. Um, also, you have to remember that all of these different cities are kind of close to each other. And so there would be trade between the two. It's not that they're completely isolated. There a lot of practices are, are moving around and being more similar among all of the different places in the ancient world.
0: The third reason is that this was actually a time of social upheaval. So in the last few centuries BC, so just before Jesus, there were very clear cultural expectations for women. They were basically the stereotypical, like quiet keepers of the home, didn't leave the house without a man, covered their head, super modest, um, and all of that. And the Roman empire actually highly valued the traditional, what we would call traditional family values. Because they under, they recognized, which I think unfortunately our society maybe hasn't in many ways, but they recognized that when the family breaks down, the nation will break down. So, so in the last century BC and then the subsequent early centuries AD, a sort of feminist movement began to happen in Rome. Or in the Roman culture, rather, so women started leaving their homes without head coverings. Um, we're talking about married women here. Um, they would like dress like prostitutes and single women, kind of as a way of defying the fact that their married marital status meant that they were like underneath a man, because in that culture, women were considered less valuable than men. They would also take contraceptives, have um abortions and that kind of thing to keep their figure. Really like I was I was reading about Roman culture and I was like this is us today. Like I couldn't stop seeing these similarities. It was really quite startling. So, like I said a minute ago, the Roman Empire highly valued the traditional family model. So, this is where the man is the head, the woman is a childbearer, and then they also have slaves in the house that are all submissive. And when this started to break down, Caesar Augustus actually passed legislation forbidding married women to go around without head coverings because he recognized that this was like not going to be good for the country. The women didn't really listen, though. They were like, forget it. We've experienced like freedom. <laughs> we're not going to listen to you. Um, they would be the bra burners of our generation, yeah, exactly. or previous like generations to us. Exactly. So various philosophers of the day wrote, strong opinions about all of this going on, the swell of feminism. Some were for it. Some were like, yeah, you go women. And others were really appalled and were really against it saying like, no, you need to uphold these traditional values.
1: So that's um, the the culture specifically of Corinth. Now we're going to zoom out a little bit and talk about Roman customs. So among the Romans and Greeks, women covered their heads in some different contexts, but not their faces. There were some groups of Jewish women who would also wear a veil covering their face, but not their eyes. So it would just it would go above their nose. Um, so you might have seen some Muslim women wearing dress similar to this. Roman women in general were under a lot of pressure to look really good. Their beauty was thought to be a reflection on their husband, um, which actually this is pretty similar to today. Um, Guys are applauded if they, quote, land a, quote, hot wife. And so we, you know, we can understand this part of their culture. Um, Among the Greek and Roman women, hair was considered to be a part of their sexual appeal. Therefore, women who were sexually unavailable, i.e. married, and for one man only, would cover their hair as a way of symbolizing their marital status. Like, this woman is off the market, she's unavailable, she's under the protection of her husband, like, she's don't touch her.
0: In Roman culture, there is a lot of ambiguity just based on what we know, which is based on archaeology. There's lots of depictions of women covered and not covered. So we do know that brides would wear a special wedding veil when they got married, um, but then we don't quite know if they always covered their hair after this. Likewise, women who were sexually available would leave their heads uncovered. Unfortunately, there is also not a lot of clarity on this. So some sources say that only slaves and prostitutes would have their heads uncovered to show a lower social status while upper-class and married women covered their heads. Other sources that we read say that unmarried women would also uncover their heads um, to kind of show that they were available to be married. There were also high-class prostitutes. Prostitution was perfectly legal in the Roman Empire, and it was kind of like a high-status, think of like high-status call girls. That's kind of what was going on. Plus, then there's all the religious prostitution, like
1: the temple prostitutes, because you and a lot of the fertility stuff was tied to, oh, you want the land to be fertile? Go have sex with a woman, and then that will happen. Or, you know, there are male
0: prostitutes, temple prostitutes, too. So it's all tied up. I just think it's really interesting how many excuses Roman men had to sleep around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one piece of evidence for head coverings that we can look at is ancient Roman coins. So the Empress of the Roman Empire would often be shown with the latest hairstyle on these coins um, with her hair uncovered to show it off. However, she always wore a head covering in public. And again, this goes back to like the whole married noblewoman status thing. Some ancient Roman coins depict virtues like piety, chastity, and modesty as a woman wearing a head covering. So there's like on this coin, there's a woman wearing a head covering with the word piety or chastity or modesty underneath it, really personifying those values as a woman with a head covering. However, on the opposite sides of these same coins, noble women of Rome are shown without head coverings with their hair elaborately done. So basically, we're saying that there were a lot of different reasons women would cover their head in ancient Rome. What we do not know is that there was a hard and fast rule that all married women always covered their heads. We just don't know that. It seems like a lot of married women did cover their heads, but there was also married women who didn't. So there's a lot of ambiguity around that.
1: There's also a certain intimacy factor to having your hair uncovered. Some would say that because hair was considered part of the woman's sexual appeal, letting it down was reserved for when she was at home with her family, because it would be her immediate family or her husband. So think especially, oh, like you take your hair down when you're going to go to bed. like So that it's very much an intimacy factor, um, like a, like a signal, I suppose. In general, it's safe to say that most married women covered their heads across the board in most ancient cultures. Um, Fidelity was considered to be the most important virtue for a woman being faithful to her husband. While men were actually expected to be promiscuous, they didn't have to be faithful to their wife.
0: Double standard.
1: Dude, not cool. Caesar's niece, Julia, was tried and convicted as being an adulteress, and her punishment was to have her head shaved. This demonstrates the shame that was associated with women committing adultery, and for Emily, offers some clarity on what Paul writes about, about a woman shaving her head. We're going to get to that a little later. Um, A little bit of modern context for you here. Back at the end of World War II, in the occupied countries, women who had... I guess, committed treason by, um, being with the Nazis, they were actually taken out into public and had their heads shaved. Um, like that's a pretty common picture of like movies who show the end of the second world war, especially in like Holland or France. Um, it just, that's a more recent example of how this was used in our culture to show shame to a woman.
0: Yeah. And I'll just add to that, that even, um, when slavery was still happening, um, in North America, I think that a lot of slave owners would sometimes like shave women's heads as as like a means of discipline or punishment. It's something that has always had this shame factor to it when a woman has her head shaved. And I think that that's also another reason why cancer patients um, who, who have lost their hair, there are these whole um, uh, organizations committed to helping women to to cover their baldness or To empower them to embrace it because because cancer is not a shameful thing but our perception when we see a woman with no hair um, we all kind of like take a step back and so I think it's great that those that those um, there's different ministries that do that that's wonderful but my point is that there has always been this shame element with a woman being bald yeah like in a complete sense like we're not talking short hair or anything like that we're talking like shaved head Back to Rome. So, in ancient Rome, married women used to have. Um, this is in addition to the head covering thing, but women um, who were married used to have an extra clothing garment, an extra layer of clothing that they would wear over their like their robe um, to show that they were married. It's called a stola, and it basically was like a. Yeah, it was just an extra layer. I'm not entirely sure how to describe it, but it, it was like a long flowing garment, but. Tertullian writes in the second century that married Roman women had actually largely abandoned this tradition. It was kind of like, oh, you're married, wear this extra garment. And then with the whole feminist movement, most married women weren't even, weren't even doing that anymore. Okay. So to summarize our talk about Roman customs, whether you think the primary reason for head covering was marital status or, or modesty, sexual modesty, a woman attending church would without a head covering be, would have been really disruptive. Um, whether she was walking with her husband and wasn't wearing a head covering, that would have been kind of defying her matter, marital status. Or if it was for sexual reasons, she would be walking in signaling availability in a place where that's not supposed to be happening. Um, it would be kind of like a woman walking into church and refusing to wear a wedding ring or walking in a, into church in a bikini. Like it just would be really shocking and disruptive to the gathering.
1: It might even be similar to a woman not taking her husband's last name.
0: It could be. I, I think that, that maybe it would have been that 50 years ago. Oh, that's I, think true. A, I think a lot of women, like, that's no, that's no longer necessarily viewed as a disrespectful thing. Um, but I, yeah, in, in maybe 100 years ago, a woman not taking her husband's last name would have been really weird um, and strange.
1: Yep. Okay, next we're going to talk about Greek customs. Hooray. So there doesn't seem to be strong evidence that all women of good reputation had a head covering in ancient Greece. This is going to become like a a recurring phrase. There's just not enough evidence. We just don't know. just don't know. Although women mostly did wear head coverings in public, there is no evidence that they were under compulsion to do so. Like It's not like you have to. Um, A typical piece of clothing women wore was a large shawl that would be wrapped around her shoulders. Some depictions of women from ancient Greece show them with this shawl called a hemation around their shoulders, sometimes pulled up over their head. Other depictions show women wearing only a headband without the top of their head being covered. But we don't know if this was just something they did in public or at home. We just don't have evidence connecting head covering to marital or social status in the Greek culture.
0: Yeah. So we have a lot of carvings. We have a lot of pictures and statues and depictions. The problem is that we don't know the context of these pictures in these different depictions. You see like this headshot basically of a woman in, um, statue form. in statue form in a carving, whatever, but you don't know if that's supposed to be depicting a woman at home or out in the public square. So there's just so much we don't know. Lastly, before we close this episode, we are going to talk about some religious reasons. So, and when we're talking about religious reasons, we are not talking about Christian religious reasons. We are talking about the pagan religions. So in relation to this, some pagan religious cults would have women prophesying. Often these women would like sort of throw off their head coverings. while like quote unquote prophesying to show intimacy with the gods that they were worshiping. So normally if, you know, head coverings, if a woman typically covered her head because she was married, she would sort of throw that off only in the context of prophesying um, to these false gods, etc. The other interesting thing is that Roman priests covered their heads for religious ceremonies, which is the opposite of what Paul tells the Corinthians to do in the church. And then additionally, in case that wasn't confusing enough, different gods had different head covering rules. So the public would cover their heads to worship only certain gods. Or uncover to prophesy for certain (laughs) gods. And then who knows if you're male or female and whether or not you're married. So
1: confusing. Different cults in ancient Rome had different kinds of dress. Some would wear a purple stripe um, and a scarlet cloak to show allegiance to the god Saturn. Others would wear white and a helmet to show they belong to Ceres. Others would wear dull, gloomy colors and a wool head covering to worship Bologna. In, this cult, in the cult of Isis, which originated from Egypt, it was actually super popular among women, um, priests would cover their head, but priestesses did not. You're sensing a theme here,
0: I'm sure. So in summary, we don't know. <laughs> um, there was a lot of different head covering practices among different subcultures in Corinth. And of course, something to keep in mind going forward is that the Corinthians were not just Jews. Who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah? The Corinthian church was also made up of converts from these pagan religions, from different um, societal backgrounds. You had Greeks who worshipped these different gods coming and and becoming followers of Christ, and then you had Romans worshiping their gods coming and becoming followers of Christ. So you had a lot of different you had a lot of different people in the early church. I was reading one article, it was very long and involved and detailed about all the different cultural practices, basically um, a lot of it was, is what we shared with you. And in, in his summary paragraph, one of the last sentences he had was that basically along the lines of the cultural practices were so ambiguous that they really don't offer any help in interpreting this passage. Um, And I took a picture of that and sent it to Bethany and was like, this is where my two hours of research just went. (laughs) But yeah, I think that it's really helpful to understand all of these different things because people, when people just say, oh, cultural context, like that just doesn't matter. It's like, well, but what was the cultural context, right? So we hope that this has at least given you information that you can sort of start to form an opinion about these things. At least if you walk away from this going, yep, we just don't know, at least you know why we don't know. Mm-hmm. That's our hope for you.
1: I did all of that. I don't have anything else other than that. <laughs> So, that is Head Coverings Part 1, Greek and Roman and Corinthian customs. Um, We hope that that gives you a good foundation for the next two episodes. Um, We thank you for listening. We are going to share two articles as recommended resources. Um, These are ones that Emily found super helpful in looking at the cultural customs. Um, So those will be linked in our show notes, and you can find them on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in for Part 2 next week. Bye!